podcast one production. When it comes to career, I've got so many guilty mama moments. It's just not funny. I can remember this one morning when I was leaving the house, rushing out the door and three of my kids were just screaming, crying, running after me to the front door and I literally had to slam the door behind me before they chased me out of the house and I just got into my car and I just collapsed and sobbed all the way to work. I just thought, this is not the life I want to be living. Why am I doing this to myself? I just should stop work, quit, become a stay-at-home mum because the guilt is not worth it and I'm feeling so overwhelmed by it all. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips and in this episode, I want to understand how on earth we can juggle career and kids and do it with success. One lady that does have an intimate understanding of the struggles that us mums face when it comes to career and kids is the beautiful Margie Hartley. Margie's a career and executive coach. She's spent over 16 years helping women, including mums, not only succeed in their career, but also achieve a healthy work-life balance. My God, can I have that, please? She's a mum of three gorgeous girls. She's had her ups and downs, as we're going to find out. And she's going to give us some amazing insights into how we can avoid feeling overwhelmed, stressed, and most importantly to me, how to stop feeling guilty when we're trying to have a fulfilling career whilst having little ones at home. Welcome, Margie. Hi, Amelia. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you. So not only have you worked at senior levels in 11 of the top 20 ASX listed companies, coaching women and mums, some mums coping well, some maybe not coping so well, but you've also experienced firsthand a career, what would you call it, a career dogleg, a career (laughs) crisis? A change. Let's just call it a change. It could be any of those things that you've just said, but yeah, it was a career change. Let's rewind a little bit and start with you. Way back, you're newly married, you're kicking goals and you're in your dream job. Mm, CEO of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm in Melbourne. I'm working really, really hard, fallen in love, living in a little apartment um, uh, by the river in South Yarra, really happy, loving the people I'm working with. My new husband comes home and says, I've got a job in Papua New Guinea if we want it. We've got no money. We can earn a lot of money in three years and be able to buy a house outright at the end. And I said, I don't want to go. And I'm in the best job in the world. And he said, it's just for three years. Why don't we go and check it out? And so we went and checked it out and ended up saying yes and going to live in PNG for three years. Quitting your dream job? Yeah, quitting my dream job. And I have to admit that the tipping point was when I was really tired. Mm -hmm. Amelia, I think I'd been working 16-hour days for a number of weeks Mm -hmm. and there was a big flood across the entire, um, we were in a big warehouse area, a big flood and I just, I was tired. And I said, okay, let's go to PNG. So, um, yeah, that was leaving the dream job. And really up until that point, I had never experienced any barriers to anything very much in my career. I'd said yes, and I jumped into things. And so I thought, what could be so bad coming back from PNG? I was in PNG for six weeks. Um, my father had a heart attack. My brother-in-law died. I came back and forth from Melbourne. And then I was sitting, this is not 
a judgment about the choices, but I went, it was invited to somebody else's apartment and there were 20 women sitting around and they were drinking tea and coffee and champagne and talking about things that I didn't understand. Sewing. I staple, I don't sew. So it was just a whole new world and I called my husband and I said, you've got to come home now. And he was really worried. He said, has someone hurt you? Are you all right? Kind of a dangerous place. And I said, um, no, just come home. And he came home and I literally slammed him up against the wall when he walked in and said, you get me pregnant now or I'm going home. Oh. So <laughs> then ensured three amazing daughters were born and I was really good at this. So I fell pregnant very easily. Um, Rose was conceived that day. And wow. then um, 10 months, 10 days later, I gave birth to Ruby Jane. Um, Ruby had been a twin in utero till 17 weeks. So I was going to have three under one, but her twin miscarried at 17 weeks, which is kind of important in my story. And yep. then I had another miscarriage and then Grace was born. And um, yeah, and then we went back to Melbourne where we'd been and I said, I surrender to motherhood. I am in this up to my neck. Uh, my husband went to, uh, had his job and went back to work and uh, we renovated a house and then he came home one day and said, I have a job in Sydney. And I said, I don't want to go. Oh, <laughs> and he again? Said, yeah, and he said, look, um, it made a lot of sense. He said, you know, this is the dream job. This is going to fast track me. We can come back in three years. When we went to Sydney, we'd been there for six weeks again, about approximately, and I started to feel really unwell. And I thought I was just tired from breastfeeding. Um, I breast, I'm a big breastfeeder. I love breastfeeding. And I was still breastfeeding Grace, who was 12 months old. And um, I felt thought I was tired from that and potentially was pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt really, really unwell increasingly over the weekend. My Then at the time, my sister-in-law popped in um, and uh, we decided to go to Royal North Shore Hospital, which was a really good move. And when I was at Royal North Shore Hospital, I um, died on the floor of the hospital from internal bleeding. And I had about four, three or four litres of blood just um, floating around my perineum and right through me. And it turned out I had a, a tumour in my spleen. And I'd been basically having a, a spleen rupture during wow. that time. It was very hard for anyone to find. But um, yeah, so I was diagnosed with stage four choriocarcinoma, which is a really rare cancer that comes from placental tissue. And then I really, without going into too many gory details, a horrible dose of chemotherapy, another um, re-emergence, but my immune system actually was... Um, beating it the second time around. Right. So I had lots of really intense um, investigation and health opportunities. You know, it's amazing hearing your story because for a lot of us mums, we have this feeling of starting from scratch after we've had children. And in your case, you were starting from scratch, literally not just career-wise, but also having to rebuild your health as well. Did you find that your priorities had completely changed after you had kids and at what point were you ready to go back to work and what were you going to do, pick up your old job at the comedy festival? Yeah, look, it's a great question. Um, clearly I had to honour my health and I had to honour my children and I had enough experience to understand about goals and what was possible and realistic to actually sit back and say, look, you know, I'd love to go back to work. This is what would you know, I'd love to go and work in media, arts, entertainment again. Uh, what can I do in that area? Now, I did get a job at the ABC. 
I came home that night and um, decided that that wasn't a good fit for me and not going to assist me uh, in the role that I'd been offered. I love the ABC, but it wasn't right for me. And I was going for a job as a deputy general manager of a theatre company and I needed to be out five nights a week. So it was a really a matter. I, I won't pretend that I wasn't stressed by the the navigation of this path of understanding exactly what it is that I was going to do that would add meaning to my life and also allow me to have my life with my children. So this is a really big exploration for me. And I did a lot of it on my own. I asked a lot of questions, but I did a lot of the thinking on my own, which I think has completely prepared me for what I do now. Well, let's talk about that. How did you come to executive coaching from that place? So um, one day, a friend of a friend, um, Naomi Simpson, knew a lady called Di Ryle, and Di Ryle and I had a coffee, and um, mostly around our shared experiences of having been ill. And then she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm looking for the right fit. I'm looking for a job that allows me to look after myself. Uh, remember, self-compassion and, you know, those sort of things weren't around very much in the early 2000s. And so I talked to Di about that and she said, well, why don't you come and facilitate for me an executive women's leadership program? And shame on me, but I looked at her and said, I couldn't do that. And she was amazing. And she said, come on, of course you can. And I began doing that and hit my straps really quickly. Through that, the community of people learning facilitation, leadership and coaching is a really um, generally really positive one. And you start to hear about conferences and the Sydney Uni Coaching Psychology Unit and the private courses. And all of a sudden, I was upskilling in an area that I just absolutely loved. I want to touch on the logistical aspects. Now, I love hearing that you spent a lot of time, you know, looking around and searching for what's going to work because logistically it is just so hard juggling work with kids and how we can balance them and still feel fulfilled at work, but, you know, still feel like we're present for our kids and our family as well. Have you found in your coaching experience, is that just a common theme amongst the mums out there trying to find that balance? Absolutely. And increasingly for men too, they're finding, questioning the balance of work and their priorities. And so we will often talk to people um, about the Quinton Bryce quote, you can have it all, but not at the same time. There have to be compromises. Just like relationships and marriages, you will find that there has to be a compromise at one point. So I know a lot of women who have partners who've decided to be stay-at-home partners, and that works. So you've got a different balance there. But a lot of women who really struggle with guilt about uh, going back to work and where do I spend my time? Where do I put my energy? Yeah. So it is a common issue, Amelia, a yeah. really common issue for most of us. Well, you know, I've struggled with that along the way. And my husband, Tim, and I are very bipartisan when it comes to our working arrangement because we've been in business together for the last 10 years. We kind of, we've found this nice balance. But to help negate the guilt factor, 
I carve out one-on-one time with each of my four kids each week, but I make it a repetitive activity. So we go to the same gymnastics class. We go to the same cafe for a babuccino afterwards. Last year, after we sold our house, we spent three months up in Byron Bay. We were thinking about doing a tree change and moving up there. And so, but I was also doing my master's and I had a newborn baby. So it was all a little bit kind of dishevelling, but we did create this great little routine. And so every Tuesday morning, Charlotte and I would have Charlotte mummy morning, but I did actually cheat a little bit because I also went to the gym at the same time. So what we'd do, we'd have our 30-minute drive through the hinterland to the gym and then we'd go to the creche and I'd drop her off. Now, the first two times she went, kicked and screamed and cried and made me feel so guilty, but I'm like, this is the only time I get to do my pump class. So drop her off at the creche, do the pump class, and then we'd go and spend an hour together at the farm, this gorgeous cafe with a playground and chickens and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, by week three, she was loving the creche. And even now when Five Seconds of Summer comes on on the radio and, you know, starts playing Young Blood, she's like, Mummy, that's our gym song together. And so we had this lovely time together. And because it was this week in, week out for the three months, it's really cemented in my memory and and hers as well. And I do that each week with all four of my kids at one point. Um, yes, it does mean I might have to work later that day into the night, or but I will always stop working between that 4 till 8pm kid time. So a lot of planning going into how you're spending your time, who's going to the gym on what day, where you're doing any you know social activities and what are the kids' activities as well. I had an idea for an app a while ago where everybody in the family puts their phone into the middle of the table and all of the um, diaries sync because I was just so sick of sort of trying to understand where everybody was at any given time as it gets a bit harder as they get older and they're all driving, um, which my beautiful girls are now. But this is a really important point. really scary thing for a lot of women who are going back into the workforce or have maybe gone back to a job that they realise now doesn't really suit them um, because it may not have the flexibility or it may be more emotionally demanding that they don't you know, seem to have that. And I want to talk and touch on those emotional aspects a little bit. So when Tim and I first started the Michelle Bridges 12-week body transformation, this was before children. And I look at the emotional energy that I invested, not just the hours because the hours were insane, but the emotional energy that I invested getting that business off the ground. And we all did. We all invested in it. Now, we sold our business a little while ago. And so I'm at this kind of career crossroads right now where it's half exciting and half completely terrifying about what is the next thing. But I have to say the thought of starting something from scratch with four children just it, it petrifies me. And exhausts you. <laughs> yeah. And what kind of support should we expect from our workplace when going back to work? Okay. So it depends on the organisation, their view about flexibility and their view about the role. So one of my favourite clients is a CEO and she was asked to do the job and she said to them, uh, she rang me and she said, I, I have to tell them I'm four months pregnant. And they've just offered me the job of CEO. And I said, well, you, you haven't got a chronic disease. You're just having a baby. Go and talk to the board about that. And they said, fantastic, not a problem. You have six, 12 months off, whatever you like. We'll put an interim in and then you can come back. 
and she's now thriving in this role, absolutely rolling with it. It's still a juggle for her with her now three or four-year-old, but putting in the support mechanisms is enabling for her. So the thought of not taking that job was too great a cost to her. And so she looked at what are the support mechanisms that were allowing her to be a a really good mum. So really looking at an organisation's culture, what are they doing with flexible work and what do they really mean in terms of how I can participate in the workforce. Now, so many places have much better views of flexibility and integrating working mothers back into the to workplace, but there are still a few that have low tolerance and are requiring a sort of almost evil high performance from everyone. That's one thing. Then people say to me, let's start, I'm going to start my own business because it's just going to be so much easier than going back to work. I get a passive income. I can choose my own hours. I can work when I want. Yeah. Bow, bow, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not really how it looks. And if anyone's listened to Janine and I, they'll know that she spent, you know, she was up for 16 hours a day and, you know, sleeping in her study and um, I know that, you know, my role actually, I, I, my business could be much, much bigger than it is, but I've made some choices and compromises along the way because I was completely committed to my role as a mother. Yeah. So that was really important to me. And they're choices, Amelia, you know, and they're not right or wrong. They're just honouring your character and what's important to you. Yeah, it's great to hear you say that because I've definitely come from a think big, can do background. And it sometimes I put a lot of pressure onto myself and I don't want my kids to suffer as a result of that. So I like the idea of it's okay to not think big all the time. And I know you've got the kind of lean in approaches and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying, you know, I think if you've got an idea and you're ambitious about it, 100% go for it. But it's okay if your priorities suddenly have changed and you're not you don't want to climb that corporate ladder right now. It may change later on. Is that right? My kids are still young. It Ab- may change later on. Absolutely. And I think you'll find you'll have different energy at different times in your career for different things. So I started my business at 40 when I was going back into the workforce and starting this new thing called facilitation. I used to stand at the dinner table with my three kids at the end, deliver them their dinner and say, I'm just going to practice my talk tomorrow on communication. They still laugh about it to this day, but integrating goals is incredibly important. What do you mean by integrating goals? So, Amelia, if I'm going to walk to work or a drive or a commute and I want to spend time with my child and I um, need to do something else. How can these activities come together? Um, I need to get fit, but I'm enjoying, want to enjoy the company of my kids. What is it that I can be doing when that happens? How can I construct my weekend or my day? So for example, we had a dog, we go, created a routine, the girls would walk home from school, I would meet them at a park with the dog, we'd run around, we'd do all sorts of outdoor activities after a day, often cooped in at school, and then walk back home and then we'd have some activities and me time and other things to do. So I was getting a walk-in, I was walking the dogs, I was connecting with my children, we were getting outdoor time. All of these things met together for me to meet a number of goals in terms of having 
both family time and being with kids. Oh, I love this idea because I'm all about efficiency. Yeah. And so it's kind of layering your goals. So you're doing something, you're going, this is ticking goal number one, number two, and number three. Yes. I'm walking, I'm exercising, I'm having quality time with my children. I'm getting that fresh air and that vitamin D sunshine that I need. Uh, what a great thing to do. You could almost throughout the day go, okay, what am I doing right now? And how many goals or how many layers of my life is this actually supporting right now? So this is perfect. However, we have to be a big warning bells about something. What's that? When we become multitasky. So we don't focus on anything particularly well and our productivity uh, in life, in the quality of the relationships. So I um, work with a man called Professor Tony Grant and he says the quality of your relationship depends on the quality of your conversation and the quality of the family is probably dependent on the quality of the relationships. So if we can focus on the conversation, not be behind our phones, our screens, we really come into that very given moment, incredibly important. So if we're thinking about all the goals too many times, then um, I would say that is can potentially derail us. So at the same time as I'm saying, yes, integrate your goals, I'm also saying be focused on what you're doing and create a habit out of these goals. So you don't have to overthink them. Make it part of the routine. The idea of if you choose to be a stay-at-home mother, congratulations, do that by choice. But don't complain about people who make different choices. And the same goes back from women who are working to those that stay at home. These are individual choices and it takes a real community of diversity to make up um, a, a positive um, environment. So I just think it's incredibly important that women don't judge other women for their choices and that we are supportive as opposed to judgmental. I have to say I've never experienced judgment either way. I've never had someone, a friend who's a stay-at-home mum, sort of ask me with that slight tone about, you know, how many hours did you work last week? And I've certainly never felt that way. And the flip side, do you, have you found it? Have you had um, some clients that you coach come in feeling like they have, you know, been judged or... All the time. No way. Yeah. Really? Maybe yeah. I'm just missing it. Maybe they're giving me those looks and I'm just completely going over my head, which is <laughs> probably happening. I think there's a lot of judgment. And I think there's also, you pointed out before, expectation on self. Right? Yeah. So how do I be ambitious? and still tend to this other part of me. And Picasso said, we're all a study in contrast. So we can have the ambitious need to succeed in business or in the corporate world and also be the nurturing partner and mother of multiple children. And I do know that I, I married my husband um, because at the time he was my husband, but I married him because he said to me, oh, I had a nightmare. You were two people. You were the career woman and the earth mother. And I thought, oh, I found the one person who's finally got me. I love it. So these two things can coexist. It's how we go about it that's really important. We've been talking a lot about re-entering the workforce, but as a mum, when you're in the workforce, the pressures can slowly build up on you, a bit like frogging boiling water syndrome. And I know I felt it before, or maybe even a life event can happen. And just when you think, you know, everything's going along well, something goes wrong 
and you've forgotten to check in with yourself and then all hell can break loose. Now, you've found this out the hard way. Yeah. So, look, um, my uh, husband and I uh, split up um, over a period of time for a number of reasons and I was I was really devastated and I was working and I kept working and um, I, I managed a pretty good balance. So I was really pleased with what I was doing then. I was very fearful about my future and money and um, I worked very, very hard. Now, when your belief system or your narrative in your head is around, I have to work really hard, I have to, um, I have to succeed, and keep going, then you will um, feed all of your strengths and resources and beliefs into that narrative. So my narrative was around, I'm a single mother with three teenage daughters and a $700,000 mortgage and I've got to work hard. That's all that was going in my head all the time. So I'd mow the lawn all weekend and I'd make muffins for the week and um, and I'd go to work and I'd listen to other people's problems and I'd share a huge part of myself because it's really hard for me to go at 80% in um, just as a human being. I don't give that. I always give the most I can. So uh, I was stressed and I was um, really trying hard to manage that. And I had a couple of conflicts going on at work and I went to my niece's wedding. It was a wonderful, wonderful wedding and she's an amazing human. I forgot to eat breakfast, I forgot to drink any water, I had a couple of coffees and a couple of glasses of champagne. I didn't do any self-care, like basic self-care. We're not talking having a massage and going to yoga, we're talking basic food and drink. And I'm not somebody who can do the fast 800 diet, I actually need to eat, and particularly with no spleen, I need to actually eat every couple of hours and have a drink of water. And I hadn't done that for about 38 hours and properly. And um, I went to bed at the end of the fabulous wedding and um, I got up to go and get a drink of water and I landed on the ground fainting. I fainted on my feet and I broke my jaw, knocked myself out for three hours. Luckily, it was about three degrees outside. Knocked myself out for three hours and broke my jaw through the middle of the base of the jaw and um, knocked out my um, jaw joint and um, about $50,000 worth of teeth. Um, Yeah, and I was woken up. I woke myself up and called my daughter and we went um, and they called the ambulance and that was three months wired up where I couldn't speak and I couldn't um, really do very much at all uh, except drink stuff from a straw. And you speak for a living. Yeah, I know. So it's like you breaking, you know, yeah. your, your leg, I suppose. As if, a, or, if you're, yeah. Or, uh, you know, not being able to, I mean, a bit the same for you. But yeah, so it was critical time. And the, just prior to my fainting episode and breaking the, my jaw, I actually, because I'm taught to listen to what's going on in my head at any given time, I actually caught myself twice saying to myself, I just wish this would stop. And that was exactly the words that were going around in my head. And it happened twice. And if I could go back now and listen to that and, okay, what do I actually need to do? And how do I ask for help? And who do I ask for help? 
and how do I change this? I would right now. But that was just such a devastating moment for me financially, you know, um, emotionally, uh, with work, everything. It was really um, hitting rock bottom. I met a woman at a party about six months later and she said, oh, I was dressed up as Deborah Harry and she said, oh my God, you're Margie. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's nice to meet you. She said, you're the woman who redefined rock bottom. And she looked at me, said, divorced, broken jaw, you know, couldn't work. And I'm going, oh my God, is that me? <laughs> oh, you so, poor thing. Well, no, I, I, but it was a, just a really amazing lesson for me, Amelia, that I didn't listen to the warning signs. Now, something extreme happened to me, but I'm lucky I'm not dead. So I've got that, you know, slow learner, maybe, but time to actually check in because I do go hard. I do go really hard. And that's the nature of who I am. So when you're in that moment where you just felt like you wanted it all to stop, what would you say to yourself if you could go back there right now? So I'd say to myself, listen, to, I heard it, but I didn't truly really listen to understand what it meant. And I would, because it turned it in, turned into an action, because it turned into an action. And I would actually say, go and talk to somebody, whether it was a family member or a friend or a professional. And I would say to anybody who's having those sort of thoughts to really seek out proper support, either psychological, um, emotional support, and even to the point of calling Lifeline or whomever it might be, your GP's a great first stop in this process, but really being able to listen to what's going on in your head and beware because you don't want something terrible to happen. Your clients are lucky to have someone like you to sit there and be the warning bell and say, oh, oh, I've experienced this firsthand and I'm just getting that. And maybe as a friend, maybe it's good for us to look to our friends when we see them get that kind of crazy look in their eye and they're, you know, that frazzled look. And if it's going on for more than a couple of days, then maybe we do just need to sit back and take stock. Mm. On, on the situation that we're in at the moment. You know, it's no doubt this is, it is a juggle, but I do feel that it can be balanced. And it's, it was an incredibly positive moment for me because I, well, <laughs> took me a while, but um, a lot of time in the dentist chair. But after that, I actually now, every Friday afternoon, go and see my um, very special chiropractor, kinesiologist, my adrenals get put back into place. I get cracked. I lie there on the on the couch for about an hour or on the bed for an hour. And that is my reset time. And I learned to do that. And I also learned about being able to communicate my needs to other people in my business because my natural work is to offer myself to others. And so how did I manage that? Now, with a growing family at the same time during that period, it was incredibly important for me to still be a really good mother. And do you feel like you struck that balance? Well, apparently I did. Uh, I asked the girls before I came on here with you, I said, what are some of the things that happen in that period of time that worked or didn't work for you? And um, Grace said to me, oh, well, we were always up front with each other. We were always just talking about what was working and what, what wasn't. I remember once I sat them all down, I said, we need to have a chat, girls, because it's not quite working effectively for me. I think I'd found them trying to kill each other over the toaster one morning before they went to school and I hid the toaster 
um, then for a week. And they, they thought it was funny, but I said, we need to talk about how this is all working and how we plan out our weeks together. And one of them said to me, stop facilitating the family and just tell us what to do. So they, they laugh about it now, but we all loads and loads of communication, loads of simple rules. And um, apparently they're quite happy with their with that period of time, their teenage years and me. You are setting such a great role model to your children, staying true to yourself, your individual self as a human being as opposed to yourself as a mother. And I think that's really important as well. So just one final question. I could talk to you all day, but looking back over all the mums that you've coached in the past, is there one or two consistent things that they do that, are good messages to pass on. This is going to sound really weird, but they don't obsess about a tidy house. They obsess about the things that are important to them. They have clear goals in their life, their hierarchy. They work to live. They don't live to work. They are planned, as you said so brilliantly at the beginning of this. So they they plan and they don't beat themselves up and expect to be perfect. It's actually okay for your kids not to be perfect, for you not to be perfect, because that's the real world. Because the real world isn't an Instagram post with everything edited in and out. It's messy. It's difficult. And that's what we need to accept. I love it. Margie, thank you so, so much for coming on today. I got so much out of it, so I know that all our listeners out there will have as well. Thank you, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Live Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer, executive producer Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Healthy Her. And for more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au.